Okay, welcome back, guys. Another podcast. Ben, what episode are we up to? 85? Something like 86. that. 86. 86, something like that. Um, we, I apologize. We took a bit of a hiatus from recording. Probably, um, it's been a week probably since we recorded, but which is not uncommon for us. Like, we, But we had been cranking them out regularly multiple times per week. So um, schedule has created a little bit of an issue for us. So we're going to do our best. I think actually today we're going to try to record multiple podcasts. So you may hear um, a few coming out here in the next uh, relatively short period of time. I want to thank you guys for listening. Um, continue to receive a ton of really good feedback questions. Today's today's podcast topic is actually completely generated by an Instagram message that was sent to me. And at his recommendation, he said, you know, it might be something that you could talk about on a podcast. So I'm grateful for you guys listening and in helping us um, talk about the stuff you want to talk about. I think it's important. You know, I do think there's some things that come up in my mind and I'm, I've been taking notes on it um, and making notes on my phone when I come up with an idea or subject. I'm constantly thinking about the progress of Bella. Um, Bella is a project that if you are not aware of, it's a dog that we're training um, have been documenting on uh, inst- Instagram. We put promos up, but YouTube primarily is where that lives. It's called Bella Be Good. The series, it was a partnership with Gundog Magazine. Uh, Blue Cypress Kennels is where we got her from. Um, so we've been tagging stuff to them. They've been sharing some of the stories as well. We we really have used that. I've written an um, article. I have my last article was due uh, a few days ago, so i got to get on that. But um, we've re- written a... I've written a column for Gundog Magazine documenting that in text. So um, that has been on my mind, and it's been a source of some of our topics and subjects that we've talked about here on the podcast. Um, I just think the podcast is a real interesting way for us to share a variety of different things with you, um, hopefully specifically touch on certain things with you guys that are valuable. That's where this is coming from. The guy's name is Connor. Connor sent me this message. Um, I'll probably parlay this into a little bit of the conversation on Bella because I do think it's important to give an update um, on Bella's hold conditioning. We went live, basically live to Instagram when we got to hold conditioning with her. If you watch the series on YouTube, we're out to probably episode 75-ish, something like that. 78. 78 that's been posted. Just starting. Hold conditioning. And we're just starting hold conditioning. Well, that was a couple months ago. So um, fast forward, we are through hold conditioning. She's doing really well with it. It's allowing us to do some more things in the field with her, um, take the next steps with her. Um, We are, Ben and I had a conversation about it yesterday. Bella Be Good, the series, is going to be accelerated quickly here. Um, We are, our big, one of our biggest struggles is Wi-Fi. We have a we have poor Wi-Fi here, um, and and so it it creates a big issue for uploading, and so we are months in advance as far months behind with posting the Bella Be Good series, and I think it's important for you guys to see it a little more in real time. So we are going to, for all you binge watchers that like to binge watch stuff, we're going to be hopefully providing you with a l- little treat um, as we accelerate and put a bunch of Bella series videos up um, which is going to allow you to watch a bunch of them and get caught back up to speed basically i'd like to be within a week or two of where we currently are in training because some of it is time sensitive Um, when i say that i mean it's there's value in you seeing stuff 
relatively recent to what we're doing because some of the stuff we're going to be doing with her is going to be preparing for next the next three or four weeks, which is hunting season. And so I don't want you guys to see how we prepared her for this fall in the winter because it's just not going to make sense from a timing standpoint. So we're going to, we're going to speed that up. We're going to get you caught up at least within a week or two because I think it's going to be much more valuable. Um, so that's something that we're thinking about all the time of how can we, how can we give you better stuff? Um, so the podcast, we're going to, I'm going to touch today's, we're going to talk about some hold conditioning stuff. And if you look back on our hold conditioning, it's one of the most common questions we get is stuff about hold conditioning. I'm grateful and thankful for it. Um, primarily I think it comes because people are recognizing and realizing that they don't have to force fetch their dog. And there's a lot of people that are of the school of thought that you have to force fetch a dog. That's fine. I'm not going to argue with you. I completely disagree. But if you want to do it and it works for you, go ahead and do it. I've yet to find a dog that would vote for force fetch over hold conditioning. But that that's not, that's none. Unfortunately, I don't have, it's none of my business. Like I can't, I'm not going to tell people what they should and shouldn't do. I'm going to give people an opportunity to do it, to see how we do it. And if they like it, they should try it, I think. Um, that's That's all there is to it. It's that simple. So what I want to do is give you an update on her hold conditioning. It's went really well. Wouldn't take about four weeks for us to get through it. Um, we didn't make a retrieve. Like th- th- here's the problem is I'm seeing hold conditioning questions coming and people giving me lots of feedback and lots of people that are interested in more and more information on it. So we continue to put it out there. We've got our hold conditioning video on YouTube. We've got a downloadable version of it for free on our website. Um, like that's something we used to sell. And I said, I'm just gonna, let's just give it to people because I don't, I want, I feel that strongly about it that you don't have to force fetch that I'm willing to give you a produced video that cost us a pretty good chunk of money to make. Um, but I feel like it's, I feel like it brings more value if more people have it. So that's avail- available to you. You go to our YouTube channel, there's lots of different scenarios that I've filmed and recorded. And this brings back another memory of, we got all those other whole conditioning videos that we have of other dogs over the years that we need to get onto YouTube. Cause I just, I'm going to put as much stuff out there as I can about it. But I also think people have to recognize and realize that there is a sequence in order to it. And I think some people are watching one or two videos that they're catching somehow through a Google search or whatever, however they're getting it. And they're starting to implement it into their training with their dog, but they're taking like, they're starting that step in. And I don't like sequencing because I think I, if you know anything about me and what the stuff I talk about with training is, I don't think anything is set in stone. It's not one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. Sometimes it's one, three, two, four, seven, four, three, two, but you have to have an understanding of all thousand steps to understand when and where you move forward and back. And so that takes time and experience. So the hard part is for someone who's doing it for the first time, and I understand and, and, and I get this, that's why we're trying to put more information out about it. If you've never done it before, you there is a logical reasoning for some of the steps I take. And when I go forward and when I go back, and it's all dictated on the dog and the progress of the dog and how things are going and where I see some issues or where I see some strengths. That again comes from experience. So if you're doing it for the first time, you're likely to make mistakes. What I'm seeing a major mistake is people are picking and choosing parts and pieces of the process and frustrated with not getting finished results. 
And my answer to that is, if you have a 100-piece puzzle and I give you 30 of the pieces and I say, put the puzzle together, you're not going to be able to do it. And if you become frustrated because the dog is doing something wrong or the puzzle pieces are doing something wrong, you're wrong. It's not the dog. It's not the puzzle pieces that you have. It's the ones that you're missing that are the issue. So you have to go and you have to collect the other 70 pieces. And then you'll have to probably maybe take some of that puzzle apart that you've already pieced together in order to get the other 70 to fit. So with the idea of hole conditioning, you can't start and jump around to what feels good and makes you feel good at the moment. And so part of the issue I'm seeing is a sequencing thing that a guy had and sent me some video on is, you know, he's, his dog won't hold. He had a lot of issues other than, than just hole conditioning. But, you know, he went from hold conditioning for two or three days and then he made a retrieve and the dog won't make the retrieve. And I said, you can't retrieve until the end. And so you put the, you took the last piece of the puzzle and you tried putting it in the beginning without anything to connect it to. And so there is sequencing and I can't give you step one, two, step two, step three. I think you need to watch a lot of our stuff, listen to a lot of our stuff, absorb it and then apply it. So let's get into this question. It says, hey, Jeremy, got a training question for you. Might have a, If you have a minute, might be a fun one to talk about on the podcast. So that's what we're doing. I have an 18-month-old toller. He's got a duck toller. Um, using primary for duck hunting, primarily for duck hunting and a bit of upland work. I skipped force fetch and hole conditioning his first season. So he's 18 months. So now, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read through it and then I'm going to start making comments. I skipped force fetch and hold conditioning his first season because I wasn't confident in doing force fetch on my own. And honestly, he's smart with a ton of drive. Anyways, I ended up doing it this summer, a formal fetch force fetch program. He conditioned, hold conditioning went quickly, but he quickly lost interest in the force portion. Anyways, I'm thinking about foregoing the force section and diverting to more of the methods of your methods that I've come across. As I've stated, as I've started, I have noticed on hold, he's pretty solid with a light paint roller. I've got him releasing to fetch, picking up, on, picking up off the ground, and returning to heel with a sit on his place board. When I transfer to a heavier object like a three-inch bumper, he's letting it fall as he returns. Any recommendations? So I'm going to back up and we're going to break this down a little bit. So one of the things is he's got an 18-month-old old toller. Uh, so Bella is 18 months. So here's here's one major difference I see. And, and I'm not saying anything's wrong with it. I'm just saying it's a major difference. I'd be aware of it. You're having some, some issues that are delivery, it sounds like, delivery-based. Okay, so hold conditioning is the fix. Um is a is a primary fix, I believe. 18-month-old duck, duck toller, I skipped force fetch and hold conditioning his first season because I wasn't confident in doing force fetch on my own. And honestly, he's smart with a ton of drive. So does that mean you hunted the dog last year? Because I think, first off, I go, wow. That means you hunted a dog at about six months old, a retriever. Now, I get pointing dogs. Um, and, and you can argue with me all you want on this, anybody, I don't care. I don't care to argue with you. I, you do you, but I don't believe a retriever. Most retrievers are ready to go into the field at six months old. They're just not there. There's no way you have enough into them, in my opinion, to be prepared for the things that you're likely to face and the risk that's involved with taking a six month old dog versus the reward 
to me, the risk far outweighs the reward. What do you have to gain? Uh, you might get a, a season of hunting over a six-month-old dog, which is going to be minimal to begin with as far as value. And, and I think it makes us feel good. But what do you risk? Oh, my God. The list is long. Taking a six-month-old dog out to the field. Because you you keep this in mind. Sometimes we think of six-month-old dogs and we go, well, they're half a year old already. One-year-old dog is a dog. No, it's a puppy till they're two, in my opinion. Two years. So think about it. You've got a six-month-old pup. You didn't get it until it was two months old. So that means you had it for four months. The amount of stuff... The amount of stuff that you try to put into a dog to prepare them for the field in a four-month window, especially when you think about what you're dealing with at that two months old, it's eight weeks. So at eight weeks old, how much can you really put into a dog? At 10 weeks old, how much can you really put into a dog? At 12 weeks old, three months, how much can you really put into a dog? So that's just a a thing that comes up. And I'm I'm not knocking this guy. I'm just saying I would keep that in mind. For anyone out there that's thinking about it, Bella's going to hunt this year for the first time. She's 18 months old. I think it's a, well, she's not quite 18 months old. She's 16 months old. She's going to hunt when she's about 17 months old. I think it's a per, absolutely perfect time. I do think we don't have everything in her yet. Like she's not 100% ready to hunt. I'll admit to that. So I don't have an issue saying my dogs aren't ready to get into the field maybe at 18 months. So if they're not, I'll wait. And if that means I got to wait a year, I'll do it without any hesitation. It doesn't bother me a bit. And some people are just shaking their head right now and going, I can't believe this. My question is, is come and see my dogs when they're three. Come and hunt over my dog when it's three. Because that's really the first year. Two two or three is the first year I'm really going to even have a chance to what I consider hunt the dog. Trust me, you won't be disappointed. I, I'm, I'm quite confident you won't be very disappointed. But for some, some people that have struggles for the rest of their dog's life in the field, you know, four, three, four, five, six, seven, those prime years, four, five years old, three, four, five, six years old, those prime years of health should be shining moments in the field. And I have, I, I, I can't tell you how many people I hunt with that just go, just shake their heads throughout the day in the field because they're just, that's, that's just that terrible habit that that dog, I just can't get rid of it. You picked it up, I can't get rid of it. It's just a nasty habit that shows up always at the worst time. I can almost promise you it has a lot to do with you went into something before the dog was ready and you got so deep into it that you decided I can't dig myself out of it. So I'm just going to deal with it. Well, that gets to be old. I'd much rather give up a season or two of hunting to enjoy five years of beautiful, flawless, never flawless, but beautiful, super high success, pleasure to be around stuff with my dogs. So that's just my little rant on the age. Now, he said, I skipped force fetch last season. So you know, I, I look at it and I go, that's one, a couple of things that I don't go into the field with without. And that's a delivery. Because if you go into the field of the dog that doesn't deliver well, every opportunity that you have that season is a training opportunity to reinforce the wrong habit, an undesirable thing. So the next year when you go back to try to fix it, you just 
are digging yourself out from a hole that you put yourself in for a year worth of hunting. So just, it's counterproductive. Don't go and reinforce undesirable things with the idea of we'll fix it later. That You might be able to, if you are able to, it's a hell of a lot more work than if you just said, let's not create the habit in the first place. Let's not allow the bad, undesirable thing to take place and then and address it when the time is right, when the time is there and move forward. It might slow you down and be a little bit awkward and, and um, not necessarily the most convenient. But let me tell you something. The most convenient is rarely the best route. It's just, we have a little saying that we joke about in my house. Um, I say, was it with you? No, it was with my nephew, Jake. Maybe I say it with you too, Ben. But I always say, uh, nothing good Nothing good comes from, what is it? What is it? How did, we said it in Buffalo County. Nothing good comes without a little, a little hard, little hard work. work. Nothing good comes from without a little hard work. So it comes from a song about making maple syrup. <laughs> but the line, but... Nothing good is going to... So it's inconvenient, but in the big picture, it's probably for the best. Keep that in mind. That's a nugget for today. Now, so anyways, he ended up doing it this summer, formal, a formal forced fetch program. His dog did well with hold, quickly loses interest when the force comes on. Imagine that. Positive, something that's relatively positive. Now, there's no, there is correction when I hold condition a dog. Now, I actually think, you know, the, I, I think it's funny when people force fetch dogs, they typically start out with something like hold conditioning. Yet, and, and usually dogs do really well with it. Yet, all of a sudden we decide, well, we have to take this next step in the program and start pinching their ears and their toes and getting them to squeal a little bit and making them real uncomfortable. What? For what? And, and, and so we're not going to get into force fetching because I don't want to talk about it. I don't want to think about it. But I am not interested in some of the results that force fetching gives me. I'm not looking for dogs to be impulsive. I'd prefer to dogs to think things through and respond with thought as opposed to impulse to avoid pain. And so this guy's dog loses interest when he gets to that part of the process. Well, not only does it probably lose interest, that's probably what you're reading it. It's probably shutting down. Like, and that could be because of fear. It could be because it wants to avoid it altogether. Whatever the reason is, I don't know because I'm not watching it or seeing it. But whatever the reason is, it's clearly not helping you. So your options, and this is what people go through when they experience this process. You have, your, you have a choice. You can bite your lip and just push through it until the dog caves and gives in which to me is like completely eroding what I've worked so hard for with a dog for them to trust me. I, I, I work really, really hard for dogs to look to me. Bella is starting, just now starting. Like we did it, we did it in sessions today and yesterday and I showed, and I, Ben will know because he filmed them. Bella is just now starting to click to some of these remote sits to the whistle really well to take a handle, to take a cast. And it's because 100%, I believe 100% that it's because she trusts me. And when she gets into a little bit of a position where she goes, uncertain, I'm unsure, this is, I don't know exactly what I want to do next. She's responding to sit to the whistle and face me and go, dad, what should I do? To me, that is completely a sign of trust and confidence in me as her leader. As opposed to, 
ducking out or quitting or shutting down or locking up or whatever other symptoms or descriptions you want to make of it because they just don't like it or are uncomfortable with it. Now, the part about retrieving, so he he says here, um, let's see, it says he's got it pretty solid with a light paint roller. Got him releasing to fetch, picking up off the ground, and returning to heel with a sit on his place board. I got to ask you a question. The last the dog the dog is a duck tolling retriever. My dogs are Labrador retrievers. I'm training a golden retriever. A Springer Spaniel is a Spaniel, but it's probably the one of the best retrieving dogs I've ever worked with naturally. Retriever, retriever, retriever. If we were in a retriever class on Westminster, your last name is Retriever. I got news for anyone out there that thinks force fetching is to train the dog to retrieve. Some call it the train to retrieve. I got news for you. You're not training any dog to retrieve. They either have it or they don't have it. And if they don't have it, there's something really wrong. Like there's a breakdown in the breeding. But the retriever retrieves. So when he says, I've got him releasing to fetch. Now you've got him sending on a command, it sounds like. You've got him responding to the word fetch. I don't care what you use for a word. I release the dog on their name. So whatever it is, I've never trained a dog to retrieve. And I don't think Connor trained his dog to retrieve either. I bet you it's natural predator prey. I bet you he's adapted this game of running out and picking stuff up because of the genetics that are within him. I'm almost certain of it. So he's got it picking it up off the ground. Again, you, we didn't teach the dogs to pick stuff up off the ground. We got Bella and I've got a little puppy right now named Finley that I'm watching that have very, they're very well-bred retrievers and they carry stuff in their mouths constantly. So if you're at home right now laughing and going, so does my dog, it's because you got a well-bred dog. Dogs that carry stuff around in their mouths, especially when they're puppies. Now we create problems with some natural retrievers by turning them off. By yelling at them when they pick stuff up, by scolding them, by snapping them on their nose. My dad's notorious for that. He's got a rolled up newspaper. He's the he is like out of the comic book from the 1950s. He's got a rolled up newspaper that he used to whack his whacker. He would whack the dog on the nose when it was doing something wrong. So he'd swat the dog when the dog picked up something in its mouth, and all of a sudden his dogs don't want to make retrieves. Well, guess what? You've taken what they naturally do and you've conditioned it to meet your needs, to fit what you want. And that is fine for a minute, but then the next minute you take it outside and you want it to retrieve and it doesn't want to pick it up because he's afraid you're going to swat it with a, with a newspaper. It's trained behavior. It's, it's shaping behavior. So you didn't, I, I, I don't want to break your bubble, but you didn't, pick the dog, you didn't teach the dog to pick stuff up off the ground. It probably did it pretty naturally. Now, that's where encouraging that natural behavior shaping that natural behavior to fit more what you want. You want the dog to hold and deliver to hand. That's when you jump into the idea of when the dog was six months old, Connor, last year, I would have been focused, rather than taking the dog to the field to hunt, I'd have been focused on shaping and molding the delivery to hand. Every time the dog picks something up, whether it be your sandals, the dummy, the kid's toys, uh, name anything that's laying around, a stick in the yard, whatever it is. When they pick it up, I get down, encourage them to come to me, Tell them how good they are. Don't snatch it out of their mouth. Instead, I stroke the underside of their chin, tell them how good they are, share it with them, take it from them, give it back. Give it, Take it from them, give it back. Don't turn it into a game of snag it away, steal it away, and or no, 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 bad dog. 
turn it all into positive, bring it to dad. He encourages me. He praises me. He gives it back to me. We share it back and forth. He, hell, he might even throw it for me. And then I get to go get it again. So that's to me, from a timing standpoint, that four, that eight weeks when you bring the dog home, two months to six months old when the time of season is fall, and now we got to go hunting. No, I'm not hunting with them yet. I'm encouraging delivery. I'm encouraging shape. I'm shaping behavior. It's going to help me hold condition them in another six months. But so that's that's that ship has sailed though. So now you're here, where a lot of people are. So this is this is why it's a great topic right now for this podcast. So he said, I've. So now let's move on. Let's let's move on from that to more specifically with what you're dealing with. He started to notice hold conditioning pretty solid with a light paint roller. Got him releasing fet to fetch picking it up off the ground and returning to heel with them on a place board. So you've got them delivering to a spot. That's good. I, you know, I talked about doing it with a place board and I never had to do it with Bella. And someday I might do it with a dog, but I didn't do it with this one. I've not done it with one of them before. I do think it's a reasonable way to do it and probably an effective way. I see a lot of guys do it. But now he says, when I transition to a heavier object, like a three inch bumper, he lets it fall as he returns. So you went from what was good with a rolling with a what sounded like a very controlled situation with a paint roller which is you know shape is fine a lot i see a lot of people using paint rollers that's fine i i they're real lightweight but it's an apple and an orange compared to the dummy or the bird or the antler or the whatever it is you're going to train your dogs to retrieve so the key to this is don't master something it's like it'd be like it'd be like a basket it'd be like so I use a lot of sports analogies. You guys know that. So it'd be like giving a kid, giving someone a basketball to play on like a mini hoop. Like you get these mini hoops, you know, these little adjustable hoops. It's a mini hoop. It's down, it's five feet off the ground. So like you can walk up to it and dunk it. You can, so you, you give that mini hoop to someone to learn the game of basketball and they get pretty good at it. Like they get really good. Like I had a little Nerf hoop. This is probably a better analogy. I had a little Nerf hoop when I was growing up, hung on the back of the door. I could shoot this little orange ball mm -hmm. from anywhere in my room, and I would swish it. I mean, I got so I've shot a thousand, thousands and thousands of shots on this little Nerf hoop, and I probably surprised myself at how good I got at it. Like it was just, but that's all I did. Sat in my room and I just shot this Nerf hoop at the this ball at the Nerf hoop. I mean, it was ridiculous when I think about it. But it was ridiculous that I could make it the way I could make it consistently. I got really good at it. But if you did, if I did that for my training, and then I went and walked on to try to try out for the varsity basketball team, hell, it doesn't even have to be the varsity basketball team. It could be the fourth grade basketball team with a bunch of kids that aren't that good at basketball. It doesn't really matter. But if you all you ever did was shoot on a Nerf hoop in your bedroom, and then you went onto a basketball court to play basketball with a group of people with a ball on a 10-foot hoop. How well would that transition? It wouldn't. It would, you'd look like a fool. So instead, instead of starting playing basketball by going to tryouts, what I would recommend is start on the near hoop with the kid to get him to love basketball. And then give him a basketball and let him dribble it around. And then start with a small hoop that he can shoot the ball up and actually get it to, and then raise it up a little bit, and then raise it up a little bit, and then raise it up a little bit. And then pretty soon the kid starts to understand like what the real basketball feels like, what the hoop, how he can get it up to the hoop. 
he, he develops understanding of the game. And then you take him to a tryout and he plays in the tryout and he probably can play basketball. But you're going from a paint roller to a dummy. And so I would take the dummy and go back to the controlled setting that you're doing the paint roller in. And I'd get as good at, as good at that with a dummy as you did with the paint roller. And then I'd go get a different dummy. And then I'd go get my antler dummy. And then I'd go get a real antler. And I'd do all these steps with all these different objects. I'd use tennis balls. I'd use whatever. Whatever you think you're going to retrieve with. Hold condition the process with those items. And that means up on an elevated platform to take away their feet. That means moving them on the elevated platform. That means putting them down on the ground stationary. That means moving them on the ground with something in their mouth. That means recalling. That means short two-step retrieve. That means a four-step retrieve. That means a 10-step retrieve. That means pitch it and let them run and get it. That means set it up as a memory. It means all these progressional steps. And the second you have an issue, you take steps back. And that means you don't... And by the time you're done, you're making retrieves with every one of those objects successfully. But you know what it will take? It will take a lot of steps in between. Instead of going from A to Z, you'll have to go from A to B, from B to C, from C to D, and you'll work your way to Z. And there are going to be times in that alphabet that you're going to run into issues that you're going to have to go back and fix, fix wherever the issue is. And it could be for a variety of reasons. But that's the, it's, it's really simple. When I read this, I go, yeah, you, went, you took too big of a jump too quick. But it's funny because whenever I whenever I read a lot of a lot of the questions that come in, I probably could use that answer. Yeah, you took two biggest steps too quick. But then it's breaking down each one of those individual scenarios and giving more detail and explanation. But in this scenario, we we kind of did that. So Connor, I think it was a great question. I think if you do that, if you take the same steps you took with the paint roller using other objects, I think you'll probably find the same results you found with the paint roller. Pretty good at it. Took a little while. Now, each object will probably go quicker. I'm saying probably, because if it doesn't, slow down. But it probably will go a little bit quicker because all you're changing is the object. It's the same routine of behaviors. It's the same steps to shape those behaviors. It's the same process to get the dog to understand what the real desired result is it's just all you changed was one variable what it was that the dog was picking up but you got to do it with each thing or or i would expect them to be a nerf basketball player on a real basketball court they're going to look they're going to look a little funny it's not going to be real real pretty so connor i hope that helps you um, guys, we're going to, we're going to continue to do these. I appreciate it. I've listened to, I've been listening to a few more podcasts and I'm not going to, I don't, I don't, I don't even know if I should say it, but we are going to do our best to continue to bring you as much content as possible in the 31 minutes that you're giving us in this one. Um, Penn and I laughed. We listened to some podcasts in the car the other day. I skip about the first 10 minutes of most podcasts because it's just, overwhelmingly heavy with brought to you by this brought to you by that has nothing to so we're doing our best um i appreciate you guys recognizing that there have been a few people that have said man i really like how you you're you're setting this thing up to give us information and not turn it into a commercial we are going to tell you stuff we use we're going to tell you stuff that we believe in we're going to share with you things that work for us 
It's genuine. So trust me when I say that, okay? Um, but I want to thank you for being genuine with us because I get, we are getting incredible feedback. Um, and it's not always positive. It's not always like, oh, you're the best by any means. Uh, a lot of times it's questioning some of the stuff we're doing, not in a jerk-like way. And I just, I've got a lot of appreciation for that. Uh, we get plenty of that stuff that I just don't understand why some people take the time that they take to make some comments, but that's fine. Um, I, if, if it's legit, we'll, I'll, I'll address, I'll have a conversation with anyone about anything. Um, it's people that, it's people that go out of their way to be mean that we're just not dealing with anymore. Um, and we've been doing a pretty good job of filtering some of that stuff out. Some of it, I don't even know if they're real people to be honest with you, but, um, those who are listening to this, those who are giving us back, um, some really solid, um, confirmation on, on what we're doing. Thank you. I mean it. I mean it genuinely. So that's it. Another podcast in the books. We're going to crank out a couple more here yet today, and you'll see these trickle out over the next uh, few days as Wonder Boy gets, gets on them. So thank you so much. Appreciate it.